Support for Akron Adventures comes from Audible. With over 180,000 titles and a variety of membership plans, Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. Right now, Audible is offering Akron Adventures listeners a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash Adventures to download a title for free and start listening. That's audibletrial.com slash Adventures. Snow Day Productions presents Thief in the Night, Episode 5. Lisa sat alone in the early morning light on one of the low logs that surrounded the camp fire pit. There was no fire, but she stared, entranced, into the pit all the same. She was waiting for Reggie, Maya, and Henry to get up and join her for breakfast, but the events of the night before were playing on a loop inside her head. After the marble had rolled out from under her bed, there was a long moment of quiet shock and empty staring before the accusations and finger-pointing began. Cynthia and Jessica seemed to lead the charge, which Lisa was a little surprised by. She thought Cynthia and she had turned the corner toward becoming friends during their scavenger hunt, but it appeared not. Most of the other girls quickly joined her in pointing fingers, and Lisa couldn't really blame them. The evidence against her was pretty convincing. First, the ring next to her bed. Now, the cat's eye marble under her bed. She didn't know how to explain both away as unfortunate coincidences, at least not believably. So she mostly stayed silent during the onslaught. Plus, she was shocked herself by the appearance of the marble. She didn't know how it had gotten under her bed and couldn't understand why someone seemed to be framing her. In fact, she had started to believe that the ring at her bedside was an honest mistake and not a frame job. Someone had just left it there accidentally, maybe even Jessica herself, but the rolling marble shattered all that for her. That had really been the sum total of her remarks that morning at her early morning meeting with Miss Melanie. Given the reappearance of another missing item in Lisa's proximity, she wanted to talk with Lisa and get her side of the story, but Lisa didn't have much to offer. She didn't take the items, and she didn't know who did. Miss Melanie had been fairly kind to her in their pre-breakfast meeting. She clearly didn't want to accuse Lisa, but she definitely seemed suspicious of her, swayed probably by the mounting evidence against her. She agreed to hold off on calling Lisa's parents until she could more clearly understand what was going on. It wasn't just the prospect of Miss Melanie declaring her guilty and calling her parents that made Lisa nauseous, although she was certainly not looking forward to that either. It was really the idea that everyone at camp who had met her and gotten to know her could believe that she was a thief, that this whole mess had characterized her differently in their eyes. Her stomach felt heavy thinking about it. Hey, Lisa, she heard someone say, disrupting her thoughts. It was Mason. She hadn't heard him approach, and she felt her heartbeat pick up at the sight of him standing in front of her. Mason's watch was one of the missing items, and given the fact that Lisa was suspect number one, 
she wasn't sure how he might be feeling toward her. Hey, uh, Mason. He took a seat on the log, near her more so than next to her, and used his hands to position his right leg in its metal brace more comfortably. Were you pretending to have your own campfire? He asked with a smile. There was a carefree energy to Mason that Lisa found reassuring and genuine. He didn't ever seem worried about anything, not even his missing watch. No, I'm just waiting for my friends, Lisa answered. I had a meeting with Miss Melanie, so I got a head start this morning. What kind of meeting? Mason asked. Um, well, she just wanted to talk with me about the... She just... She thinks I'm stealing everyone's stuff, Lisa finally said, staring at the surface of the log between them. That must have been upsetting, Mason said without much hesitation, and Lisa raised her eyes to look directly at him for the first time. She must have seemed confused, because Mason elaborated. To be accused of something you didn't do, I mean. You don't think I'm the one stealing things, Lisa asked, genuinely surprised. Of course not. You're not a thief. So it wouldn't make any sense that you'd be stealing things, he said. Like, it was no big deal. Like, he was telling her what he planned to eat for breakfast that morning. Oh, Lisa said. I assumed everyone thought I was a thief. It certainly feels that way, at least. No, not everyone thinks you're a thief. Lisa smiled. It was the best news she had heard in several days. Maybe she had more support at camp than she originally thought. She looked at Mason, who was smiling back at her. Can I ask you something? She said. Sure. Is it, what's up with your leg? Well, I wouldn't have phrased it like that, Lisa said, wondering if she was out of line. It's okay. I'd rather my friends ask me, and I don't mind explaining. It's called Blunt's disease. The tibia in my right leg doesn't grow right. It's kind of curved. And it makes my leg a little shorter than the other one. The brace might be all I need, or maybe a surgery later on. No way, your tibia? Lisa asked. Oh man, have I got a story for you. I know a little something about tibias. Cool. Can you tell me over breakfast? I want to be the first in line for pancakes, Mason said. They stood and walked together in the direction of the mess. I can't figure this out, Lisa said. She was hunched forward on her elbows at their picnic table in the mess, chin in her hands. Maya and Reggie sat across from her, Henry on one side of her, Mason on the other. They were trying to brainstorm next steps, which felt a little awkward with the addition of Mason, but he was clearly in his own world, devouring the nine pancakes stacked high on his plate. I feel like the planted marble brings us back to someone framing you, Henry said. I think we need to reconsider the ghost theory, Maya offered, and everyone else groaned in unison before dismissing the idea. Let's not lose our heads, Henry retorted, and Maya drew her finger slowly across her throat in threat. Henry looked at the ceiling and pretended not to see. Well, I think we need to reconsider the framing theory, said Reggie. Maya opened her mouth, but Reggie answered her question before she could ask it. No one has a reason for doing this. Well, we had thought Cynthia, Lisa said. We searched her stuff, though. Actually, we pretty much searched the whole cabin, Maya corrected herself. And we didn't find anything that points to Cynthia. 
Maybe she's hiding the missing item somewhere else, Henry chimed in. Again, why? Reggie asked. I know Cynthia is, well, Cynthia, but this seems crazy. All this trouble to frame Lisa? Why? What does she get out of this? I mean, she's kind of a bully, Henry offered, pushing oatmeal around his bowl. She seems to enjoy making everyone around her feel smaller than she is. And Lisa heard something in his voice that made her wonder what Cynthia might have said or done to Henry this past week. This still seems extreme, though, and elaborate. And it doesn't directly benefit her, Reggie reasoned. You're right, it doesn't add up, Lisa sighed, lifting her head up off her hands finally. We'll figure this out, Lise, Reggie said, reaching across the table for her hand. Lisa appreciated the sentiment, but there were too many thoughts and questions swimming around in her head at the moment. She needed calm and quiet. I need to... I need to think, Lisa said, and she was already up and moving away from the table, heading to the exit. Wait, Lisa, Henry tried calling after her, but she was already out the door. Lisa wandered rather quickly across the camp. Her feet seemed to be moving at the same speed as the questions racing around inside her head. She had reluctantly avoided her usual hiding spot in the woods behind the mess, telling herself that a change of scenery would help her think. She knew the real reason was that her friends would look for her there first, and she needed some time alone to think this whole mess through. Why was someone framing her? Could Cynthia actually be doing this? What was really going on? How could she be involved in this and not know how or why? She slowed her steps as she realized where she had wandered, and a huge, mangled signal tree rose up in front of her. She had never seen a tree whose bark contained so much color variation. Shades of green, orange, brown, and gray all patched together across its rough, scaly skin. There were knots of all different sizes that stuck out sporadically along the bark like warts. In the places where the knots were grouped closely together, Lisa thought it looked like there were faces embedded in the surface of the tree. Short faces, long faces, faces with different sized eyes. Perhaps most noticeable in the daylight was its age. It wasn't just that it was old. There was something about the tree that made her feel as if it had always been there, looking exactly as it looked now. Lisa thought there were some adults like that, Ones you just couldn't imagine as children or teenagers, as if they had only ever existed as adults. She took in the thick trunk of the tree, followed the two arm-like limbs upward with her eyes to where they split off into more branches, partially obscured by a thick covering of bright green leaves that fluttered slightly in the light breeze. The leaves seemed to explode suddenly as two crows and a flurry of black feathers took flight, startled from their perches above her. Lisa pulled her gaze back to the trunk. Everyone at camp talked about the signature as this creepy, haunted landmark. And there was definitely something about it that was... eerie. Up close in the daylight, though, Lisa thought it was beautiful and serene. Just what I need, she thought. She pressed herself forward, put her hands up against the rough bark and, after a moment's hesitation, started to climb. She used the wart-like protuberances along the trunk as footholds, pushing herself upwards with her legs and pulling with her arms. 
She managed to get a good grip where one of the thick limbs branched off into a sturdy branch that grew closer to the trunk and pulled herself up, groaning. She got her elbows over the top, then a knee, and then, with one more pull, the other leg was over. After a breath, she grabbed hold of the top of the trunk and steadied herself so she could balance in a crouch. The circumference of the trunk was so much larger than she had thought from the ground. Reggie, Maya, and Henry would have all fit comfortably with her. And it also wasn't flat across the top like she had assumed. Instead, the surface at the top dipped a bit like a valley. It was deep enough that she couldn't see all the way inside from her position on the limb, which made her a bit nervous. Who knew what might be hiding in there? She adjusted her feet a bit and inched forward, slowly and carefully, to have a look inside. <gasps> oh my god! Akron Adventures is written and produced by Marlia Weiss, Julie Drew, and Casey Shevlin. Our theme music is written and recorded by Philip Anderson. You can hear more from him at philipandersonmusic.com. Support for Thief in the Night comes from the Akron Children's Museum, Spring Garden Waldorf School, and the University of Akron. Don't forget to subscribe to the Akron Adventures podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Episodes every Thursday.